1: This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media. Thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation today at vision.org.au
0: When you pray, deliver us from evil, it's a way of reminding yourself that God has promised indeed that's exactly what He'll do if you'll look for the way out.
1: Hello and welcome. This is Today with Jeff Vines. Today we'll continue with Deliver Us from Evil as prayed in the Lord's Prayer. Satan will tempt us using our own weaknesses, but we are equipped to defeat his temptations.
0: When it comes to temptation, we are well equipped to defeat it. The reason Jesus says, When you pray, pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Why does he say we need to pray that?
1: This is today with Jeff Vines, and we continue Deliver Us From Evil. The
0: evil one knows exactly what it will take to bring you down. Not generally speaking. Individualistically speaking, he knows exactly where your weakness is. Let me tell you how James puts it. James chapter 1 verse 13. Let no one say when he's tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil. And he himself does not tempt anyone, but each one is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. What's he talking about? Well, he uses two terms, a hunting term and a fishing term. The hunting term is ex It's the word translated carried away. It means to trap wild game. But enticed is a fishing term. It is the word deliazzo. That means to lure by bait. Now, follow me. How can I illustrate this? Well, when I I lived up in Cincinnati, going to grad school, my father would come and visit us from time to time. Now, let me explain something about my father. One day you'll meet him. By the way, my father is about 5'7 and about 95 pounds. My dad though, what golf is to Jeff, fishing is to my dad. I don't go anywhere without my golf clubs because you never know when you're gonna to come to a golf course and there's fun to be had by all. <laughs> but my father goes nowhere without his fishing gear. I mean nowhere, because you never know when there's the big fish that needs to be caught. Well, he's coming up to Cincinnati to visit us and to see his grandchild Delaney for the very first time. But as he's coming to the Brandy Chase Apartments, he notices that out front of the Brandy Chase Apartments is this huge pond with a sign that says, he who catches old Sam will receive a great reward. Old Sam was an old, uh, a big old ugly uh, uh, catfish that was wreaking havoc. One of the country boys had caught this huge thing and put him in the pond to wreak havoc on the pond. And it was working and the officers were frustrated that they no one seemed to be able to catch old Sam. My dad pulled up and he saw this sign. That's all it took. He goes in the office, he calls me and says, Jeff, I'll be there, I'm running a little late, got something I gotta take care of. Where are you, dad? Uh, I'm out at the pond what are you doing? Just come out, I'll tell you. So my dad has his car parked and he's from Tennessee now. He's a hillbilly. My dad's a hillbilly. He, he parks his car. And I love my dad. Taught me a lot. Parks his car in the grass right there of these exquisite apartments, puts open the trunk, starts diddly dallying in his fishing gear. So I come out and say, dad, what are you doing? He says, I'm going to catch old Sam. I said, well, let me get permission. So I run up to the office and I say, Hey, my dad's here. And of course there it's a Saturday morning. They're all intrigued. They all come running down on the balcony. They say, sure, go ahead. If he can catch old Sam. Great. My dad looks at me and says, what do these northerners know about catching fish anyway? And I told dad the story. And of course, he was so excited. His eyes were big. He's kind of doctoring up his fishing line and his hook. And I know nothing about fishing, so pardon me. But he does, he gets all of his lures organized, goes over on the bank and everybody in, in the office and some of the people having a drink there at the Brandy Chase offices, they're all looking at my little dad. And I'm not sure if I'm proud or embarrassed. I'm going to find out momentarily. And so he's over on the bank. He throws the pole in. I want to tell you, it couldn't have been more than 60 seconds he pulled old Sam out of that pond and lifted him up and showed him to all the people. And then, with a hillbilly smile, took him off the hook and threw him back in. That's my dad. Here's the scary part about that, though the part is. That dad caught old Sam because dad is an experienced fisherman and knew exactly what it would take to catch an old catfish like that. He had done it a hundred times before. By the way, he did catch him later and pull him out because he knew that this temptation and lure was just unbelievable to old Sam and old Sam would fall for it every time. Now here's the problem. The Bible says in James that we are enticed and trapped by our own desires, they're personal. Satan knows exactly what your desire is. He knows the trap or the lure that will be set for you that will offer you the greatest amount of temptation. He knows your childhood. He knows how your childhood impacted and affected you. He knows what you desire the most. He knows what you really want in life and he will offer you a way to achieve it by illegitimate means. That's why when people say to me, man, did you hear about pastor so-and-so? I can't believe that they had that affair with the secretary or an affair with somebody in the church and now the whole church is brought down. Listen, there's a part about me that I understand why we're so concerned, but there's another part that doesn't surprise me. Why? I know what being a pastor is like. I'm not excusing it. It's still wrong and it should never be done, but I know if you get a pastor at the right time, in the right place, when he's poured his life out to his people and he's feeling tired, he's feeling weary, and he's overwhelmed because he's not keeping his prayer and devotional time, that when the right lady says the right words of affirmation to him in the right point of weakness, he's going to be tempted to run toward the light. It's wrong, it's not right, but Satan knows exactly when to throw the bait. Now, if he knows that with pastors who are supposed to be strong, committed to the word, how much more so it is with the rest of us. I'm only saying, number one, the opposition is well-organized. Number two, the opposition is well-informed about you. And here's the third part. We are well-equipped to defeat it. When it comes to temptation, we are well-equipped to defeat it. The reason Jesus says, when you pray, pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Why does he say we need to pray that? Not because he needs you to beg before he's going to provide a way out of temptation, Remember what the Lord's Prayer is about? It's not about changing God's mind. It's about aligning your will with His. It's about reminding yourself every day what God is like. When you say, our Father who art in heaven, God knows He's your Father and He knows He's in heaven. He doesn't need you to tell Him where He lives. It's not for His sake, it's for yours. So when you pray, deliver us from evil, it's a way of reminding yourself that God has promised. Indeed, that's exactly what He'll do if you'll look for the way out. That's why Paul says over in 1 Corinthians ten thirteen, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Now look around. Really, you don't have to look anybody in the eye, but just kind of look around, look at everybody. Now I want to tell you something. There is not one single person in this room who's an experiencing a temptation that is far more intense or greater than anybody else seated on that row with you. You're not under some great attack, and it's all it's it's so intense you can't overcome it that it's not common to man. Every person in this room, every person in that chair faces their own battles and has their own cross to bear. They're all all of us have that one thing that is ailing us that just constantly lures us and traps us because the enemy is well informed, he's well organized and he knows what will bring you down. But here's what the Bible says. God promises to provide a way out. When the temptation comes, just look for the exit. You're sitting at a computer at home, guys. You're looking or about to look at something you know you shouldn't look at and all of a sudden the phone rings or somebody comes into the room. That's your escape. Get out, take it when it comes. A lot of the temptations that we fall into take an incredible amount of effort to actually perform. We have to hide. We have to make plans to commit the act. When a way of escape comes, take it. Or, you know, you're you're sitting at home Fathers, mothers, and you're watching something on television, you know you shouldn't be watching, but it's in the privacy of your own home, and your four or five-year-old daughter walks in, and you push the power button quickly, you don't want her to see it, that's a way out. Take it. Escape. Run. Exit. Are you at a point in your life when you're frustrated and you're lonely, nothing's helping So you're going to try what everybody else has tried, even though there's so much dead carnage in the tray. You're going to try alcohol or substance abuse or sex, whatever, food. You're going to try something and ultimately it ends up destroying you. But you're going to try it because you're looking for something else in life.
1: This is Today with Jeff Vines. We're hearing what it means for our God to deliver us from evil. He will always provide a way out of temptation. Let's continue with Pastor Jeff.
0: The point I'm making is the Spirit of God will provide a way out. He will always provide a way of deliverance. All right, now I want you to look at me. I want you to pay very close attention. We've already said when it comes to temptation, the evil one is well-informed. He knows what'll bring you down. He's well-structured. He's got a systematic plan, a strategic plan into operation. And now I'm saying that God will provide a way out, but I want you to hear me on this. Do you know that the same Greek word translated Temptation in your Bible is the same word translated test. You know why? The Jewish people, his audience, would have understood the relation between the two. That's why it says in James, God does not tempt anyone. Why didn't they put test? Because God does test you. Now follow me. For some of you, you've been facing the same temptation all of your life and you wonder why God doesn't remove it. Let me tell you why. Because God wants to give you more responsibility in your life associated with the kingdom of God. But before he can do that, he needs to be able to trust you that when this temptation comes later on in life, that you will be able to say no and will do the kingdom of God proud. You can't move up the spiritual growth ladder until you conquer this thing. Because if he gives you more responsibility, when you fall, as some pastors do, it's not only you that falls, but so much of what God stands for falls together with you. <laughs> Young people, what test does God keep bringing to your life? See, the reason these words are closely related is a temptation is a test that is responded to inappropriately. If you respond to the test appropriately, you climb the spiritual growth ladder. You position yourself to be used for great purposes by God. If you respond poorly, it turns in and evolves into a temptation that has the potential to bring you down. God tempts no one. He tests you. The devil provides an illegitimate way to meet a legitimate desire. Now, stay with me here. You know, this comes from G.K. Chesterton. Ravi Zacharias has used it. I've tried it on my own children. I think it's a great illustration. But I'm in... Uh, the room with my children. And I've got Delaney, who at this time I believe is seven, Sion is five, and then their friend Helen is three. And so I, I, I take this uh, trial. I, I test this out, this philosophy. So I say to my seven-year-old boy, Delaney, Delaney, and they've got them all in the room there in the bedroom at night. Delaney, little Tommy, got out of bed, went to the door, opened the door, and out popped a dragon. When I say out, popped the dragon, Delaney goes, whoa, no, no dragon. Okay. Then I move to my five-year-old, Sian. And I say to Sian, little Tommy got out of the bed, went to the door, opened the door. No, don't open the door. That's all she needs. She doesn't need the dragon, just the door open. And then I go to her three-year-old friend. And I say to her three-year-old friend, little Tommy got out of bed and walked to the door. No, anything but the door. No, all she needs is the door. The older, listen, the older you get, the more it takes to fill your heart with wonder. And only God is big enough to do that for you. But here's what happens. As you get older, these desires come. And instead of running to God, your father, to fulfill that desire, because he places all those desires in you, they're from him so that you will run to him and he can meet them in a legitimate way. But you start trying other things other avenues to meet God-given desires. That's why the Bible says there's a difference between desire and lust. A desire is something that God gives you and he intends on meeting it in his way, in his timing, in his kingdom as it comes to your life. But a lust is when you take a desire given to you by God and the opposition offers you an illegitimate way to fulfill a legitimate need or desire. And that's exactly what the devil will do. So you get impatient. You want intimacy, you want relationship, but you don't want to wait till marriage. So the evil one gives you away pornography on the internet, illicit relationships to fulfill a sexual desire. God intends on meeting that in a way that you could never hope for, dream, or imagine. But you insist on doing this and you end up as carnage and destroy any potential you have for a lasting, fulfilling, ultimate relationship that God ordains in marriage. Folks, some of you are involved Right now in something, I don't need to stand up here and tell you that it's wrong. You know it is. And you know you're falling for it, but you keep chasing the blue light and you keep getting closer and toying with it. And it's only by the grace of God you're still alive. You think about it just for a moment. You say, well, Jeff, you know, I understand that, but I'm under grace. God forgives me no matter how many times I fail. That's true. His mercies are new every day, but you need to understand something. Remember Oscar Wilde? remember the story about Dorian Gray? He writes this story about a beautiful, handsome man who just mesmerizes uh, the artist. And the artist says, I would really like to paint your portrait. So he does. And after he's painted it, Dorian Gray takes one look at it and he says, wow, I really am handsome and I'm a, I'm beautiful. And he makes an agreement with the artist. Under his breath, he says, wouldn't it be great that I could go out and live however I wanted to live, involved in all kinds of illicit activity, and instead of my face being marred and scarred, the face of the painting is marred and scarred. They strike an agreement, it's a done deal. They cover the painting, shove it away in the attic. Dorian Gray goes away and lives however he wants to live, his face never being scarred or marred. He comes back 20 years later in the attic, he's digging around, he uncovers the painting, As he sees the painting, it's shocking. It is unrecognizable. It doesn't even look like him. There are wrinkles and scars and blood. He sees it and he's taken back. The artist follows him into the attic. He sees what's happened to the painting. He looks to Dorian Gray and he says, I've heard somewhere that though your sins may be as scarlet, they may be white as snow. This infuriates Dorian Gray and he takes a knife and he kills the artist. Then he takes the knife and he stabs it into the painting, wanting to get rid of any kind of evidence of what's happened in his soul. But as he stabs the painting, the painting returns to pristine condition and Dorian Gray lies on the ground dead. And the application is made that although we may not see what your illicit activity is doing on the outside, you are marring and scarring your soul. Some of you are involved in stuff right now that we'll never know, but I can tell you this, you think it's not impacting you and yes, you might be getting forgiveness from Jesus every day from it, but it's still scarring you. It's marring you. It's changing you. And if you were to see your soul, it would be deplorable. You're ruining your family relationships, your children, your wife, some of you are addicted to pornography. It is tearing at you, it is ripping at you, and you don't realize it It is scarring your soul, and you're going to get to the point, if you don't stop, that one day you'll no longer be able to determine between darkness and light, between right and wrong. Sure, Jesus forgives you. He's full of grace and mercy, but it doesn't mean he takes away the effects of the sin that you've committed in your life. It's what's wrong with our country. We keep saying that what we do in private does not affect who we are in public when the opposite is true. What we do in private is who we become in public. It's who we become as a father, who we become as a husband, who we become as a leader. And I'm begging you, I'm begging you to consider the illustration. Leo Tolstoy, do you remember? The great Russian novelist. He wrote War and Peace. I mean, hundreds and hundreds of pages. Now follow me. Every time he writes a book, it would incredibly frustrate his publishers because he would handwrite it and his, do- his writing was worse than a doctor's. And he would write it up and down and all over and then expect the publishers to decipher the code. They would. They would type hundreds and hundreds of pages out, send it back to Tolstoy and say, make your changes. He was such a perfectionist. He would make all these changes on every page and write up and down the margins through the middle. His wife would have to decipher the code, send it into the publishers, reprint it, send it back. This went on time and time and time again until finally the publishers realized this will go on for eternity. And finally they sent him a letter They said, dear Mr. Tolstoy, in the name of God, stop. Yes, you can get forgiveness for what you've done, for falling into temptation and chasing the blue light. But remember, that doesn't mean the angels in heaven aren't saying, in the name of God, please stop. You're marring your soul and you're forfeiting any privilege or opportunity to be used by God to impact the world for his kingdom, that his kingdom may come upon the earth and become a reality in your life in the name of god please just stop stop father we are grateful for the power of your word we are grateful for the message that you've delivered to us in a simple prayer like the lord's prayer that we learn that temptation is strong and powerful I pray that every eye would be opened in this room right now, that there is grace and mercy and forgiveness, but that our souls are being scarred and marred and destroyed and we are forfeiting our right and privilege to be used by you to pass test after test, to be used by you to accomplish your purposes in this world. I pray for everyone here, their eyes would be open. They would understand, Father, that you love us and that you do not give your laws arbitrarily, but they are indeed motivated out of love, that when we live the life according to the way you've instructed us to live, we will find a fulfilled heart. When we seek out to meet our desires in legitimate ways that you've provided in the human experience, that we will indeed live the life of abundant joy. But when we march out and try to meet these needs in illegitimate ways that the evil one will offer... Father, we know that we are bound for destruction and will end up in a tray of carnage and death. Father, open our eyes, I pray in Jesus' Name, Amen.
1: Thank you for joining us on Today with Jeff Vines. That's the end of Deliver Us From Evil. And it also concludes our look at the Lord's Prayer. For a new message from Pastor Jeff, please join us next time. Today with Jeff Vines, just another way vision is connecting faith to your life.